0: Good afternoon, everybody. Sean Birdsong here. Sharon led line. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Court. Today we have a special, special guest with us today. Uh, director, producer, executive, and director of development for ESPN Films, Mr. Adam Newhouse. How's everything going, sir? Doing
1: well, doing great. At this point, we get like applause from the crowd, you know, with the introduction. I feel good. Here I am. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, no problem. Um, now, how have you been doing, um, you know, I, I know it's been a while since we've seen each other, um, but I know since 2020 to now, there's been a lot of things going on, you know, COVID and everything. How have you been handling, you know, everything that's been going on the past year with COVID and everything, um, yourself and your family?
1: Oh, sure. I feel blessed. Family's been Okay. Sticking with, uh, I'm staying socially distanced all the way. I'm not getting COVID a month before I get a vaccine. So I'm doubling up on all precautions at the moment, uh, playing it safe and you know, hopefully in 2022, we'll be back to some semblance of normal.
0: Okay. So it didn't really, um, I mean, I know that, you know, we were at the office and everything. So was it like a thing where people had to leave the office um yeah, no, we like
1: everyone else, you know. I mean, the interesting thing about ESPN, right? We certainly have people that need to be there to record mm-hmm. the games, the, to work the control rooms. You know, I obviously work in the storytelling unit. So my timelines on projects are much different. Um, okay. and so I'm lucky enough to to be able to do my job kind of in the same way. Um, you know, in COVID as as post-COVID. And in in a lot of ways, it's you know I've been able to have more meetings and you know meeting with directors, um, you know meeting with producers, trying to find those stories um, mm-hmm. to get into the pipeline. And our stuff takes a long time anyway. so and a lot of it is about historical events and not necessarily shooting current day stories. So mm-hmm. uh, we've been able to keep a lot of stuff in motion. and then I'm sure you know we had a really amazing run of films. We had a lot of stuff that was done that yeah. we moved up. To kind yeah. of support the, you know, live sports went off the air and we kind of filled the, the gap. And so, you know, last year we had, you know, Michael Vick and Lance Armstrong and Maguire Sosa and Bruce Lee uh, and Oscar wow. Pistorius and certainly Last Dance as well. So, you know, we, we've been able to, you know, we work so far out on projects um, with the hope where things are done and as needed ESPN can utilize them on air.
0: Now, we're, we're gonna talk about what you've been doing um, over your career at ESPN. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk real quick. Can you talk about, you know, you being a director uh, for the Ghetto Films, I'm sorry, the Ghetto Film School in the uh, Bronx, New York. Can you explain what that project is about?
1: Sure. I mean, the Ghetto Film School is is one of the best nonprofits in the country. It's one of the ultimate film programs that exists. It's based in the South Bronx. It's now expanded out to Los Angeles and London. Uh, And their idea is just to use filmmaking as a tool for learning. Um, Certainly, um, they've been around over 15 years now um, Mm -hmm. and have graduated a ton of people into the industry. Uh, as well. And so I've been a supporter, you know, for many years, I served on the board of directors and i now serve on the advisory board. Um, I just believe in kind of uh, providing opportunity uh, to young people in general, uh, and that people with different perspectives are going to create better stories. Um, So it's really been an an unbelievable pleasure, uh, not just to to support the program currently, uh, but Mm -hmm. also because I've been supporting for so long, a lot of the kids that I helped teach and volunteer with when they were 15, 16 are now making amazing stuff and um, you know, are poised to kind of dominate the industry moving forward.
2: That's, that's great to hear. And I was raised in the North Bronx. So when you just said the Bronx, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but when you were growing up, I want to ask, was directing and filmmaking always something you wanted to do in your life or did I come back later?
1: no it was always a thing you know i think they say you take on like the passions of your parents and you know my dad you know going to the movies was always the thing that you know he loved doing so i remember seeing like foreign films you know when i was seven or eight years old going to the movie theaters and you know and just just really having that be a a deep bond um with with my father and then my mom you know just love stories as well and a big sports fan Um, So I feel as if like, you know, ending up at ESPN feels like uh, a real, you know, a real fate accompli, you know, uh, of where I was coming up. But I just always um, just love storytelling in general and films uh, was was the kind of beginning of that journey
0: for me. You know, obviously you saying, you know, um, you grew up with your dad taking to the movie theater and everything like that. When you went to Emory University, um, what was your major while you were there at Emory? And did you kind of carry, you know, did you have like a theatrical vision as far as something you mm-hmm. wanted to major in? There, or like, what was your major sure. at Emory? And what was that process like?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think I was uh, a little confused about what I want to do or I didn't trust what I want to do. I think I always definitely wanted to be in film. And even though I went to a lot of films, I didn't know anybody in the industry. I didn't have a model of how to break into the industry. I didn't have any insider knowledge. So I think, you know, I wasn't prepared to kind of jump in and say, oh, I'm just going to do film. Um, Mm -hmm. So when I was at Emory, you know, I ended up majoring in philosophy. I felt like, you know, that was something learning, you know, listen, I knew I wasn't going to be a finance guy. I knew, you know, so (laughs) I knew I was going to do something kind of in a creative field. So I just felt like philosophy was something that could apply if you're not learning a kind of trade then you know it's really about how you adapt Uh, but I minored in film studies and like I knew towards the end that like this is what I was going to get into and you know uh, after Mm -hmm. graduating you know I certainly I made my way to New York and you know started that path of interning and um, Mm -hmm. you know beyond just interning and work like all my side hustles as well like all (laughs) surrounded kind of the the film
2: and entertainment space. And I think in New York City, that's important, right? Everybody has a side hustle. (laughs) There's no way you can live in a city without a side hustle.
1: Everyone's a slash, you know.
2: So Everybody. you got to slash this, and you know. Certainly,
1: when I started in the business, like you know, I worked as an assistant for several years. I came up in the mail room at the William Morris Agency, wow. you know, wearing a tie and and delivering the mail, and you know, getting paid barely anything. So you know, I had to uh, mm-hmm. find other ways. I, I bartended, you know, in the city. I, I did those things until I could find a job that could pay me enough, you know, um, to be a full time job.
0: And I think that that's so important that you said you call it slash, um, you know, a lot of the youth that we reach out to and we talk about different things. It's like some kids and even some adults, you know, typically feel like you have it's like a it's a sprint. Yeah. In out of America. And it's amazing to hear so many stories, especially, you know, former athletes, current athletes, everybody who we're talking to was like, it's a long journey to reach your goal, whether it's basketball or anything off the court. Mm-hmm. So. You know, obviously you working, you know, sort of those odd jobs and, and, and working hard, hitting the pavement and do, doing those kind of things. How was that experience for you when you first started at ESPN and what was that like for you um, to get that kind of opportunity at ESPN?
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, I think, you know, the long game is a huge part of this. And, you know, when I was coming up, I started my own networking group, you know, among other assistants, and I would start to gather people and meet people and all those people that were assistants back in those early days, you know, I kept in touch and, and grew that group. And now all those people are basically my decks and my network across all yeah. of the entertainment, you know, so I've been at this game a while. Um, you know, coming to ESPN was, uh, was a pivotal moment in my career because I had spent uh, the whole part of my career pretty much on the production company side. So, yeah. on the side of, um, you know, getting stuff made, trying to sell ideas into places. Yeah. Um, and so, this is my, was my first time on the network side and on the buyer side. It was also my first job in sports, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm just somebody who worked across content and storytelling. I worked, yeah. you know, on reality shows, I worked on digital projects, I worked on a video game. I worked on documentary, I worked on scripted, I worked on branded entertainment. So I got a lot of different reps doing a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when the opportunity ESPN came up, you know, ESPN films really sees themselves as kind of like the filmmaking center for for ESPN. And so really they were looking for someone who understood the filmmaking community um, who also happened to know sports. And so uh, that was the kind of key Venn diagram that I think made me kind of a perfect fit Um, for what they were looking for.
2: Now, you being the director of development for ESPM, I'm sure you get a lot of people pitching. (laughs) So if you can maybe, how would you just tell us how you deal with that process and the person would kind of walk through that process?
1: Sure. So, you know, the thing about being in development or at ESPN Spanish, like you said, there's a tremendous amount of pitches coming in. I think last year we had something like 1,500 pitches that wow. we evaluated for films, and we might have said we might have said yes to four or five things. So, you know, it's a very difficult process. I will say, you know, I spent my whole career on the production company side getting a thousand no's sent in my direction, you know, <laughs> taking projects out, pitching, having no. And so I really believe like that experience has made me uniquely equipped to, to be good on the other side as well. Like when I'm uh, hearing pitches, like it could be your idea, but there's also a lot of things that you can't control. We might've recently committed to another project in the same space. Maybe there's uh, limited dollars and we're pushing in another direction. There's so many things that exist, you know, outside of your pitch that's coming in. Um, but I'd really try uh, to give everyone the time of day to hear their pitch, to provide feedback Uh, To not leave them hanging. You know, we tell people no transparently. We try to tell you why it's a no. and We try to tell you to come back with the next thing. I mean, I think what I'm looking for when people are pitching stuff into me is I'm looking for someone who knows their idea inside and out, you know, who's showing a passion for it. If, if it takes me 45 minutes on Google to, to remake your pitch, that's, that's not really a good pitch. Like, I need you to tell me something I don't know about the project. I need you to have gone the extra mile to talk to people, to find out where the archive is, to understand the rights of the story, to really push and not just bring a deck that you put together off stuff that you cobbled together. So that, that's really the ideal thing. And then I'm looking for a point of view. You know, don't tell me what the score was. You know, that's not what I'm looking for. Like, I know the history, you know, or I can look that up. So don't tell me that. Don't tell me how many points this person had. Like, tell me why this is a story. Tell me how you're going to tell the story. And then I'm going to watch your previous work to see if you can pull off what you're
2: pitching me. That, that's a great thing to share. I think just in life in general, what we try to tell the youth, you know, if you find a passion for something, really do all the steps you know stay with the steps so you can have your elevated speech where a person would pick up that oh they're passionate they know this stuff oh okay come on let's tell some more but it's known the foundation of what you the idea it's not just saying oh I can do that Yeah. I I want someone
1: who's like, it doesn't matter if I say yes or no, they're going to go make it happen regardless.
2: Exactly. You know,
1: That's the kind of vibe that I, that I really want for somebody who's bringing something in because we want something that's special. We don't want to just, we're not in the business of just handing out checks for people to make stuff. I want people to like give us their all and give us their best creative um, to make it happen. No, that makes sense. I mean, that's kind of exactly what we're always trying to do, which is provide perspective and context. And, you know, something mm-hmm. happens in the past and now we're able to kind of, you know, oh, that happened because of this, this and this. And because of that, this happened. And you think, you know, this story, but actually it's this story. And certainly when we're going through history, something happens, you read the news, you see it on TV, it's on social media. And you maybe, you know, get a sense of the story, and then you're on Mm -hmm. to the next thing. So a lot of times, we we really prey upon the idea that people have terrible memories. Mm -hmm. They don't really remember anything. Um, And if they do remember it, they frequently remember it incorrectly. So with (laughs) allowing some of that time, we're able to do a re-examination. Of that time and you can be like wow wow i didn't know that those two things happened so close together or wow i didn't know that that was connected to that so you know we're all just kind of living history every day um but you know allowing time uh and that's why when people pitch us stuff you know a story might still be ongoing you know i mean certainly you know the tiger woods documentary on hbo is a good piece of filmmaking but we felt like the story is not necessarily done on tiger and there might be other parts of that story that you know, kind of emerge. So we're always in that kind of push-pull because sometimes people take out projects uh, before we might be ready to tell them, you know? but um, we always try to, to, to ask ourselves, so what? You know, what, what? Why are we gonna care about this story and why is it special and, why, and what can we bring to it?
0: Right. Now you have many hats you know, at, at ESPN, obviously you being, you know, director of development, one of your most successful, um, I guess I call it a franchise, you know, is the 30 for 30 uh, documentaries, you know, where did that idea come from? And I know there are other producers who, you know, produce the films and everything, but where did that idea for 30 for 30 even come from to where it's, it's been many years now, a lot of films um, that, that have made, you know, you know the, the airway. Um, can you talk about how that process started and like where that idea came from? Yeah, I
1: mean, Thirty for Thirty was was born out of an idea from Connor Shell, uh, Bill Simmons, and John Dahl. Uh, so it was created about over ten years ago, uh, and their idea was to pitch thirty stories from the first thirty years of ESPN. So it was supposed to be a kind of a one off thirty films idea, and um, you know that first batch of thirty films from thirty filmmakers, all who are connected to the story, that came out. Uh, And it was such a success that they chose to kind of continue. So the brand's been around over 10 years. Uh, We've made, you know, over 110 feature films, you know, 50 or 60 short films, now 20 or 30 podcasts as well. So, you know, it's a long history of a lot of people who've contributed to it. I think that's what's so exciting about it because we're so uh, director driven. We've had lots of different directors, lots of new talent, uh, kind of make 30 for 30s. Um, additionally, you know, the last couple of years, we launched the 30 for 30 podcast, uh, which the ultimate compliment I can give is that I think our 30 for 30 podcasts are as good as our films. You know, they're audio documentaries. So we're expanding the brand uh, in that way. We're constantly seeking out what are new talents we should work with? What are new stories we should we should cover? You know, what's the definition of a story that we should get behind? So, you know, the key to the whole brand is finding new people and new you know, new storytelling techniques to, to tell all these stories. We want them all to look and feel different um, and really feel authored by the person. But, you know, it was that triumphant of, um, of Connor Shell, Bill Simmons and John Dahl, who got that first batch um, up and going, which was, you know, from there it's history.
0: Right. Now, you know, there've been a lot of 30 for 30s that you just mentioned, and obviously, you know, here at American Ballers, basketball related. Um, So, you know, I, off the top of my head, the the ones that I know of basketball wise that I always used to follow, of course, the Fab Five, um, Lakers versus Celtics, you know, Burton Ernie, you know, I know Ernie Grunfeld and, and Bernard King, that was a great story. And then like you mentioned the last dance, um, one that really resonated with me that I really thought was very important was the film broke and it talked about, All athletes, um, whether it's, you know, football, basketball and all of that. And, you know, of course, here we try to teach these kids financial literacy, saving money and all of that. Did you not I don't say you personally, but was that a challenge? Try to get a lot of these guys um, who went through those situations to come out and speak publicly about those situations. and What was that process like? On that film. Yeah. So Broke was a little before my time,
1: but it's definitely one of those interesting cases for 30 for 30, because normally we don't do a thematic film like about broke and then tell all these stories. Normally we tell like a singular story, but that one, uh, you know, has gotten a lot of love and, and did incredible ratings. And it is really interesting. I, I think the sad story is there's plenty of people to talk about that issue. So I think, you know, it wasn't hard finding people. Um, and. But yeah, that that's one that that's that's had a great life to it in terms of people uh, thinking about it. You know, it seems like modern day athletes have have mastered kind of financial literacy and are building businesses and brands in a way that previous generations haven't. So I'm not going to say broke you know, was, uh, but, you know, maybe broke was a part of that education and seeing that in a, in a documentary helps spur somebody on, but it just feels like, you know, athletes have taken the next step to, you know, really driving, I would say some of the best entrepreneurship in the country um, in terms of being investors and in terms of building jobs, building companies.
2: I, I agree a hundred percent because in my profession, I, I'm in finance as well, you know, um, helping people. And to just bring that, people are very embarrassed, and especially, you know, athletes, uncomfortable. Um, and I think the whole genre about finance, it's, its for me, what I've been dealing with for, you know, 30 years of people is I, they think, well, that's for somebody else. I, I don't make enough for that. Yeah. But it is something for everyone. So when you get all this money <laughs> that you've never had and your your agent, you know, and I know that has changed, is telling you just, just focus on what you've been focused on, which is playing ball. And then afterwards, you, you have all these things and you don't really have a conception of what it costs to, you know, simple things. Paying your electric bill you know, maintain, yeah. maintain your expenses. And I think just, you know, and I agree with Sean, seeing that even though it was an uncomfortable thing, I, it taught the new generation of athletes, you know, they may not have had, they may not still come from the community where they, you know, came from very little, but they can see the pattern and saying, well, I better, I better know some of this stuff. You know, Yeah. And because- I don't think it's
1: just, athletes I think you said I think everybody has Mm -hmm. you know finance kind of insecurities you know and Mm -hmm. I think it's because where are you supposed to learn it it's not part of our schooling system you know Mm -hmm. so unless you have a family member or a close friend willing to take you under your wing then you have to be self-guided and that's very hard to do for people as well so you know I think you know athletes you know get a bad rap sometimes Mm -hmm. uh, when it's really a problem that everybody faces it's just that They have a lot of money that comes in automatically. And I think that's something our educational system needs to do a better job of teaching real life skills and financial literacy certainly is a huge part of that.
2: Yeah, because you'd be amazed how many kids my cousin's an educator um, in the in the South Browns and she's, you know, helped so many kids over 30 plus years. But the simple thing of telling them, you know, about opening a checking account or savings account. like oh we don't go to the banks you know and it's because they don't know and i'm like and that's like the first step you
1: know yeah i I, again i wouldn't even put it on kids i mean you'd be shocked to know how many adults that i know who (laughs) you know have never put a budget together you know and have never like really had you know have credit card debt you know and haven't been unable to do it so i think there's a lot of shame like you said Mm -hmm. um and I think people need to know that there's a lot of great resources out there now to learn about this on your own and that you know there shouldn't be shame to it people should you know try to educate themselves and and um and talk about it with their with their friends
2: yeah now I want to ask which one of um I know it's hard but which one was your favorite (laughs) if you had a favorite to pick up the You
1: know, there's, I have different for different eras of 30 for 30, you know, I mean, certainly from the first batch of 30 for 30s, I certainly love June 17th, 1994, you know, that is an all archival look at that day, you know, and again, we talk about finding different approaches and amazing Mm -hmm. filmmakers, you know, that's certainly one that, that I'm really, you know, that I really love. That's a classic for me. Um, You know, I loved our Bruce Lee.
0: For our viewers, Can, can you explain that? Um, Sure, June seventeenth,
1: ninety 1994 was the day of the OJ Chase, but also was the day Arnold Palmer competed in the last in the US Open. There was uh, hockey, there was uh, there was NBA games going on, like so there was just this confluence of a tremendous amount of sporting events and culture on the same day. So again, that film, what it does is in an all archival setting, it like puts you in that day. You know, and oh, my God, I forgot that day happened. So, you know, that type of vibe, I think, is is fascinating. And, and again, that type of storytelling is interesting. We love archival. So anytime someone can pull off in a great way, the all archival, I think it's it's pretty special. We did a Bruce Lee film last year that I think is uh, an extraordinary film by Bao Gwyn. Um, That film, you know, is not an A to Z Bruce Lee, it tells a very specific story about Asian American male representation in Hollywood told through the couple of years where Bruce Lee had a hard time getting starring roles in America and had to go to Hong Kong to become an international star so we love the kind of like perspective on that but I think, listen, like I mean. I love Fab Five, Once Brothers, Benji, you know, the best and ever was. I mean, uh, Fantastic Lies. I mean, the good thing about it is there's almost nobody who's seen all of them. So if you think you're an expert on 30 for 30, I guarantee you haven't seen our shorts or listened to all of our podcasts. And now we have such a strong library um, that there's always something to go back and rediscover. But for us, the North Star certainly is our OJ Made in America you know, that's, you know, which won the Oscar and, and certainly is some of the best storytelling on the planet. So I think that's our, our standard, um, you know, last dance, you know, it's not officially a 30 for 30. Again, it's from our team. That also is just like the standard of storytelling. So we're, we're trying to have these projects be great films or series that happen to take place within sports in that order. So, um, again, it's not about who won the game or what the score was, but it's about what does it represent? What is this about? What is the larger message? And sports is such a, um, such an influence in culture, especially in America, that it's such a great backdrop for lots of amazing human stories.
0: Right now I have a statement and then also have a question. So first, first I'm going to do the statement. You just mentioned Benji. You know, we had an event um, in Orlando last year with uh, Nick Anderson, former Orlando Magic player who's from Chicago, and he brought it to my attention. I had never heard, um, let me take that back, a couple years ago I saw the documentary, but he gave me more in-depth information about Benji because he grew up with him in Chicago. And it was amazing the stories he was telling me about just a lot of those stories um, about kids, you know, for whatever reason, whether it was gang violence, him getting killed, um, a lot of situations that a lot of athletes don't really fulfill their promise. And one thing I could, you know, statement-wise was I wanna commend, you know, you guys that you bring to light a lot of stories that most people would never even think about, oh, that happened? That never made national news. You know, of course, OJ, and we remember OJ, I remember where I was on June 17th, you know, in front of the TV, but a lot of these behind the scenes stories, um, you know, Bruce Lee was before my time getting to know these people, I guess, on TV screen personally. I think that's a tremendous job that you guys have been doing. Um, and my question was, of all the films, you know, what's something that, if you can talk about it, what's something that you would like to see come out? Um, or what's something that you envision in your mind that you would like to see somebody do, but has never came to the forefront yet? Sure. To your first point,
1: you know, we're always talking about the balance of you know, taking something that everybody knows and finding an unexpected way into that story. So again, those big names and then coming at it from a, a different way, but then also making sure that we're still finding those tiny stories, you know, the stories that... Are under the radar that represent, and those might not be the biggest ratings winners, or you know, might not get the biggest audiences. But we think those stories can also be uh, incredibly special. So we're always glad to hear when people uh, discover a story uh, that that they they didn't know. We put out a film called um, The Infinite Race last year. It's a Mexican film. Uh, it's mostly in Spanish. It's this tiny little story uh, about long distance runners in Mexico and like. It's obviously a small story, but it it touches on so many uh, incredible topics and themes that I'm just very proud that it's part of our library, you know, and that people will discover that film, hopefully for years, um, for years and years to come. So um, that's part of it. You know, I think when it comes to what stories we're looking for, I mean, there's still certainly... You know, big names that I that I wish we could do. I mean, Andre Agassi, I think is is on that list. Like, I would certainly. It's one of the best sports uh, biography books of all time. Um, I think that would make for an incredible film. Um, he's, you know, again, there has to be the right time and place. People, it's not just can you make a film. It's is is the person ready to be on camera? Are they ready mm-hmm. to share um, what they're looking for? Um, So I'll certainly tell you that one. I will not tell you anymore because I am grinding behind the scenes, (laughs) chipping away, trying to bring them in. Uh, And, you know, we have an entire new slate of stuff that's entering production that will be coming out over the next couple of years. Stuff that's unexpected, stuff that's a little bit out of left field. Uh, We want people to say, wow, I didn't know 30 for 30 could do that or you know, hey, I know nothing about this story, but I trust 30 for 30, I'm gonna watch it. So, you know, the, the goal is to find the best filmmakers on the planet, the best stories, and then give them time and money and turn and out the best films.
2: I have another question. Well, obviously I'm, I love what you're doing and everything else, but what about more focus? Uh, would you see ESPN will be still open as they are open to? Uh, more stories towards the women Women, whether women athletes, uh, you know the young girls, especially given this time of you know uh, justice, <laughs> justice and women, you know, That's you got some question. powerhouse young ladies yeah. coming up, and it's just like to just and coming from the women that they came from, you know, because um, my goal obviously is really to empower the youth you know, and unfortunately, especially, especially the minority young ladies that, you know. I look like them so they can say, say, look, you know, life ain't easy, but you have a story to be told.
1: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a huge priority. I think, you know, the thing about women's sports is that it's been less televised.
2: Mm-hmm. So there's
1: less archive that exists. Uh, it hasn't been as long. Um, additionally, we don't do Olympic stories because we don't mm-hmm. have the rights to the Olympics. And so that cuts off a okay. huge amount of stories of, yeah. you know, great Olympic stories. So we are committed both to finding subjects and filmmakers, by the way, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to tell stories who um, are women. It is it is trying to find those things that matter. I mean, because we are a historical brand, we are looking for things that are in the past. So, you know, when you see the Naomi Osaka's and the Serena Williams and the Simone Biles and, mm-hmm. you know, all these, incre- they're like now, right? And so right. we don't do a lot of now docs, but I will give you a couple of um, things that are coming up this year, which I think is really exciting, you know, when COVID hit, we got a lot of pitches about every single scenario you can imagine for sports and COVID. So mm-hmm. we, you know, we got all these pitches and we had a really hard time thinking about where should we make a choice to, for some, for something, you know, where, where should our storytelling exist? Where is a way we can make something that really stands the test of time. And we ended up making two choices. So one, we, we did a podcast that came out uh, last December um that is called march 11th 2020 which is you know the day the nba stopped and also all these similar to uh, june 17th 1994 all these things happened and it kind of culminates tom hanks gets coronavirus on that day nba shuts down harvey weinstein was sentenced like all these things and it leading up to um Uh, an address by President Trump, you know, in the evening, you know, so uh, we made that choice because we felt like that was a day to mark. But the other one that I'm especially excited about, which comes out this year, is we were embedded within the WNBA bubble. So we made the choice, the NBA bubble is, you know, lots of people are trying to get in there. It's, you know, people making a lot of money doing their thing. The WNBA or the leaders of the social justice movement, to be very frank, across sports. And because they don't make the same money, uh, because they're a, a league on the rise, I think we, we were given an incredible amount of access, you know. And so our filmmakers, we sent a very small team down there, and they were able to get extraordinary access, you know, very deep. And so we're now in post-production on that film, uh, and we're very excited about that. So that's coming out. Additionally, um, we have a film coming out about Maya Moore. So Maya Moore, greatest basketball player on the planet, arguably, um, additionally, she retired or took a leave of absence in the middle of her career to help uh, free a man from prison, Jonathan Irons, who subsequently she married. Um, so that story we are doing as well this year. Um, so those are two you know, that we're doing um, coming up this year but we are, I'm looking for more, you know? I mean, I think there's a, there's a bunch of stories that I'd like to do that haven't come up yet on the, on the women's side, but it's a major, um, a major focus for us. And I think you're right. We, we need to do more um, and find more of those stories. All
0: right. Now, given your journey and everything you talked about briefly before um, of how you paved your way to get to where you are, you know, at ESPN and where you are now, what would be your message, you know, to youth um, who, whether they're involved in sports or not, but they haven't, you know, they have an idea that they want to get into film. You know, I've come across a lot of athletes, um, that post-playing career, they get into filmmaking, they get into storytelling, you know, so that's what, you know, that they, they like to talk about the things that they came through and went through. What would be your advice to, um, anybody who wants to get into the film industry and what to expect from that industry?
1: I would start by controlling what you can control, right? So like, you want to get in the film industry, start educating yourself, you know, subscribe to the Hollywood Reporter, you know, read Deadline.com, you know, Uh, if there's a particular, if you're interested in documentaries, watch a lot of documentaries and not just the most popular ones. You want to get into scripted? What kind of script do you want to get into? Read and watch all that scripted, read the scripts. You find most of those online. So it's like control what you can control to start, which is getting information, understanding your taste, understanding what's going on. And so if you read the kind of headlines of what's being reported, you can kind of see who the players are. You can then watch those projects. You can understand the companies. You can understand the producers. You can understand all the people who are moving the industry, who are not necessarily the actors or the people that are front-facing, so you can do that certainly, and that doesn't cost you anything. You can get all that information online. Um, and then I always tell people, like, pick up a side project. You know, like I work for free and still work for free on stuff on the side, right? So if you want to be a producer, produce something. It doesn't matter. It could be a web series, could be an event, could be whatever it is. But like, try on that hat. You know, you want to be a director? Direct a social media video. Direct something like that. Like, don't don't try to run before you walk, just like get whatever reps you can uh, and get your 10,000 hours wherever you can. Like, and by the way, then when the opportunity to interview for a spot, you know, and to break into that job, you can say to the person interviewing, like, Hey, I love this business so much. I've been doing this, this, and this on the side, you know? Um, So again, control what you're going to control educate yourself, you know, watch what you love and like consume a ton of stuff because I think that's the key is like understanding, you know, and when you watch something, hey, if you love something, who's the producer? Who's the director? Watch something else that they've done, you know, really kind of go down the rabbit hole and not just at at the top level.
0: What would you say to you has been the most fulfilling um, aspect um, or accomplishment throughout your whole career? What's something that you're really, really proud of giving everything you've done film-wise and everything?
1: Uh, It's a great question. Um, You know, at ESPN, you know, my part of the process, you know, I could work on something for two years before it even enters into production. So there's a lot of projects that I spent a lot of time honing the story, finding the director, you know making sure that the timing is right, you know, pushing it up the hill, excuse me, in whatever way I can. And so you know, I think sometimes just the battle of those things, um, it's something that's really, you know feels great when I actually get something into production. So these things take so long, even at a place like ESPN to get made. I think that's probably the most fulfilling. Um, for this job but you know I think for me it's like when I find an idea when I, I have that moment of like hey I think this could really work and then I find the right filmmaker and they're excited about it and it all comes together so I can't say it's it's in any one single project uh, i'm I'm certainly I always tell people it's it's just even incredibly hard to make a mediocre film so any film that like Gets made is a small miracle into itself. The fact that a film can be great is certainly the goal. Um, but you know, I would say just just if I'm able to kind of find a new talent or identify somebody that we should work with and and find that, I think that's certainly the most fulfilling to me. You
2: know, you've done all this work. Besides women, would you guys be looking more at you know the global community on more? international, you know, again, some of the stories where actually may have more history, like you said, um, in Latin America or, or Africa, you know, um, just it's a great question. Yeah, Just coming I mean, to America. And then that has such a whole big story, how they even got there, you know,
1: yeah, I, I think for us, you know, and this is where the kind of show business comes in, right? I mean, right. you know, ESPN is primarily a North American business. Now, there are right. stuff around the globe, but I am primarily trying to attract audience in America. Now, right. that being said, we can come at it a lot of different ways. It doesn't, you know, it can be, there needs to be some way to get mm-hmm. somebody into that story. So when mm-hmm. I look at international stories, it's easy when it's a story of somebody who immigrated in, certainly. American audiences know, if it's a story that is basically an international story where, mm-hmm. you know, about cricket or about Australian league football or, you know, stuff where American audiences, you know, might not know the sport, I right. think then it then puts a high bar on what the story is itself, you know? Um, so, but yeah, I, I'm looking across the globe to try to find stories that I think could be, you know, an international audience um that you know that american audiences might might be really interested we have a couple uh that are in production i can't talk about that i think you know will even if you're not familiar with that story uh the themes are so big and the story Mm -hmm. is so crazy that i think it'll it'll get people to come in i mean when we did uh in the first batch which i was not a part of but two escobars which is another obviously classic um Mm -hmm. you know 30 for 30 like Obviously it's, it's using the narco football and Pablo Escobar, you know, that's an international story, but also people obviously can't get enough of that story. But part of the story was about the the world cup in 94. Right. And so there was a peg to an American event that allowed people in. So I think that's a little bit of a model um, that we look for, but I agree. We're in a globalized world. Um, I tell people every day that my job is to make sure the best sports stories on the planet end up on ESPN. So um, I'm looking for those types of things.
2: Great. Thank you. That's, that is very encouraging because it's, again, we're in a global environment, um, but we all belong to the same planet. So that just brings the human condition smaller. We're really just kind of like a speck together if we could just, you know, go through that, that way or that, that ideology.
1: Yeah. And I think... know 30 for 30 is a historical brand Mm -hmm. but I think we're also we're ESPN films as well so if we see a historic moment happening Mm -hmm. in real time where we can get rare access to something like I think we're open to that like the WNBA project Mm -hmm. that I told you like that's not a 10 years in the past type thing but we thought this is history happening in real time so to us that still felt like a 30 for 30 so you know we're we're looking at those, and certainly global sports again is like, you know, if there's an amazing story happening and we can be there, you know, with access, that's very rare. That's that's magic.
0: Absolutely. Now we always wrap up with this question um, for our guest, and it could be uh, sports related or, or anything that comes to your mind. Um, what does being an American baller mean to Adam Newhouse?
1: Mm, I like that. I like that. I like those two phrases. Still very proud to be an American. We're we're an incomplete country, but we strive to be better. And I think um, this past year has been a lot about that. Um, And I think that's something that I think we can talk about all the disunity and and the path to get here. But I see a lot of people trying to do a lot of good things. And so uh, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that mission. And then when I think about baller, like, listen, this is still a land opportunity and in entertainment, especially right now, you could start a billion dollar brand from an Instagram feed. The gatekeepers are gone. This has never been a better time to be in the content game. If you really think you can make something great, prove it. The internet, it does not lie, you know, like show me the views, you know? So if you say you're the best filmmaker ever and nobody's seen your video, It's not the best film ever, you know, (laughs) the people will find greatness wherever it exists. And now, like there's never been more opportunity for people. So, you know, when I think about Baller, I think about that hustle. I think about um, people crafting their own careers, you know, making their own path. There's job titles that never existed before, except in this generation. There's mm-hmm. so many ways to do it. Now we all work from home, but in the future, you know, you might be able to craft whatever type of work-life balance you want, so you are, you're constantly striving. So, you know, I see that, a, a country and a hustle, you know, all together, and I'm, I'm optimistic for the future, you know, even if we've had a rough year. Well said.
2: Audience for applause, okay? Applause in the side hustle. New Yorkers, we still love our side
0: hustle. (laughs) That's right, that's right. All right, well, you know, I just want to thank you again for taking the time out to uh, speak to our audience and be with us here today. You left us with a lot of knowledge. And, um, you know, I just, like I said, a big fan. I've always been about ESPN, but also these films and everything, you know, you're being a part Mm of. Um, So I just want to thank you again for your time today. Thank you for being a fan. Keep watching. I appreciate the thought-provoking
1: questions. And uh, yeah, I'm glad. It was, uh, it was a real joy. So thank you. Thank you.